The master craftsman begins his work with rough, raw material. Much needs to be done to transform that raw material into a work of beauty and usefulness. The raw material must be shaped, smoothed, and prepared. The process may be somewhat painful, but the end results are worth it. The master craftsman cuts away the parts of the raw material that are weak and useless. The master craftsman then shapes the material into the form in which it will be most useful. However, that form cannot exist on its own. It must be joined together with other unique forms to create an object of beauty and functionality. The master craftsman invests a great deal of time, energy, and effort to smooth out the rough edges so that the end result will be a creation that honors him and serves him well. The master craftsman is practical. He creates not just for beauty, but for function. So when all is said and done, the master craftsman steps back and is satisfied that his creation will be a useful component to accomplish his purposes. God is working on you, shaping, smoothing, cutting, and fitting you into the perfect place where you will serve best. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Don't fight the process. Let the master craftsman do his work in you and watch and see how magnificent and how beautiful a work God can produce when you are transformed in the master's hands. This particular weekend is what we call Education Sunday. Most schools have started once again. I think there's one more in the area that's uh, yet to be started simply because of some construction they were doing. But for the most part, we've all started back to school. And it's this particular weekend that's in that standalone, that Labor Day weekend, where we like to celebrate education. And I want to be able to celebrate with you. I've invited 39 of my colleagues that are part of this area and this ministry, and then we'll talk about that at the very end, and to be able to honor them and pray for them as well, as well as all educators. But I want you to understand that what we do here in our particular Christian school is, as one year is finishing up, we spend the time praying, seeking God, looking through Scripture to try to find that one key verse that would give us a little bit of wisdom and direction. Ephesians 2.10 is that particular verse this year. For you see, we're in the business of growing young people, growing them academically. And at the heart of this academic achievement really is the embodiment of the fact that we partner with parents in order to mold and to shape a worldview, a worldview that is distinctively Christian. That's at the heart of what we do, of making sure that Christ is at the center of everything that we do. Now, for those of you that know me, know I love to share some statistics, so I won't disappoint you. Because statistically speaking, this is the 23rd year of the start of our daycare and kindergarten. It'll be our 11th year to have an, a senior class graduation. So we've had 10 years of graduating seniors, or, yeah, seniors from the school. I can tell you this year, as of today, and it can change daily, but as of today, right now, we have 269 students, infant through grade 12. They come from all eight different school districts around our area, in the Erie County area, and we come from over 13 different countries internationally. So it's really interesting. We can truly say that what Erie First Christian Academy and the Early Ed Center does is reaches really globally all over the world. Now, I can tell you, not all the students coming to us 
or because, you know, there's a misnomer, I've heard this for years, well, they couldn't cut it in public school, so they came to private, or they want to come to a private school where we can talk about God, and sometimes kids are forced. Let me tell you this year, and I won't mention their names, but I will tell you their story briefly, and that is we have two students this year that literally came to this school because of prayer and fasting. One of them was accepted back in June, but his funding fell through. His parents couldn't afford it, and he was one of those coming from an international country. And what he did is he got together, I found out when he got here, he got together with his church and his family and they spent time and they fasted and they prayed that God would provide the way that he could come specifically to our school. And he's here this year. Another one came to us basically from, from uh, a foreign country as well, was actually in school last year down in Pittsburgh area. And the school he was going to was pretty much kind of taking advantage of some of his gifts and talents. Consequently, he asked his host home if there was any way he could go to a school that really was distinctively Christian, where he could honestly learn and grow and develop. You see, his father was a pastor in his country, as well as a policeman, and his dad was killed in the line of duty. And this kid actually is beginning to feel as though maybe God has a call on his life to serve in ministry. And he wanted to be somewhere where he know he would be nurtured and grown and developed. That's just two of the stories of many of our kids. And I want you to know that God is at work, and we appreciate your prayers and everything that we do. So I can tell you that theme verse, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I want to take a couple of minutes and expound on that as to what I have sensed and what I have felt God really told us to do. But before we do that, I want to put it into context. And before I put that into context, I want you to understand something. I've been doing education now for 30 plus years, been involved with church schools, and I've been here now 16 years. In fact, if you want to know, I've been here 5,856 days today, okay? For those of you who would like to know. If you don't, it doesn't really matter, all right? But I just want to let you know that I truly have asked God to be in the center of everything that we do. Now, it's very easy. In some of the years, we really pray for God's favor, God's blessing, and those aren't bad things. But this year, I was specifically challenged that as I was praying, not only in our theme verse, which I'll share with you in just a minute, but I felt like God said to me, don't pray for my blessing this year. Pray for my presence. And that's exactly what we've been doing. So I opened up our staff orientation this year, and that's exactly what I told them. I don't want to pray for God's blessing. And I kind of waited, and I'm sure that they expected me to kind of go, huh? But I really feel like God said, let me show up and let me see what I'll do. And I'm watching. There's some things on the horizon I'm not at liberty to be able to share today. I want so badly, but there's an announcement that's going to come out this week. But let me tell you, God is at work in the lives of our students and our faculty. And I will tell you that when we invite him to show up, he will do things that are immeasurably more than what we could think or imagine. So let's put this into context. I've got the verse up there, and I only, the only reason I want to share this is because I want to remind us once again as to where we've come from. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, "'As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins.'" which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Does that sound like your old life? It sounds like mine. I love verse four, but, but because of the great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, Mercy is basically saying, I'm not going to give you what you have coming. I'm going to hold it back. But he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. Grace means I got what I didn't deserve, that you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and not from yourselves as a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. For we are God's, and depending on which NIV version, handiwork or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. The two verses before verse 10, which is our key verse in here, basically tell us we can't earn it. I can't, I can't do anything strong enough or hard enough or tend somewhere or be the right pedigree or pay for it. There's nothing I can do to produce exactly my salvation and my redemption with God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's just the way it works. However, the proof of God's grace inside of your life and my life is seen by the works that are done. So if there aren't works, we only have half of it. And if, and if there aren't those works, then we get a little frustrated. So let's spell this out a little bit. That word workmanship is an interesting word. It really comes from a, the root word poema, which basically we get our word poem from, which means that we are a piece of literary workmanship. Not a piece of something else, a piece of workmanship. God's workmanship. So what that really means is that as part of his workmanship, I am an expression of him to the world. That's why people will say to us, and I get this all the time, I thought you guys were Christians. And I love coming back with a saying of saying, so what is that supposed to look like? What does that mean to you? If you think I'm supposed to be perfect, well, let's define perfect and we won't go there. But understand, God took in our lives this shapeless dead clay of our lives and with his loving, masterful hands, he molded us into something that is for his glory. With loving care and infinite skill, God shaped us by his grace and then he wrote his love on our lives. We all know John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave it to us and then he said, I'm going to give you a story a testimony. We all have that. So really what we are as part of that expression is that you and I, we are God's love letters to the world because they look at us and that's what they're saying. People are looking for those who can display the fact that God is at work in our lives and we're supposed to be showing that, but it's not on works so that we can't boast. He doesn't just leave us alone, and I love this. Paul goes on and he actually says, you know, just because we got saved by grace and it's his plan that works in and through our lives, he doesn't just stop there and say, okay, now you're on your own until later. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit. Now, if you put something on deposit, you're planning on coming back for it, Correct? His spirit has been deposited in you and I because we are his love letters. We are his workmanship. We are what he's created so that the world may be able to see that. But he says we are on, he's given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing of what is yet to come, which means that I'm a work in progress. You see, no artist paints a painting and then hides it in a closet. No sculptor fashions a sculpture and then says, oh, that was nice. Let me put it away. And honestly, no writer pens a literary work to say, I don't want anybody to read this. No, contrary to that, every artist wants his paintings to be seen by many. Every sculptor 
wants them to be viewed and admired by the workmanship. And every writer who writes something wants people to read it. God did the same with us. He wrote us. You and I are part of his love letters. And he didn't save us just to put us inside the walls of the church and say, okay, hang out here until I come back. No, what he's saying to each one of us is he says, I want you to be on display. That's why I find it rather interesting when people compliment you and for something that you have done, that a gift that God has placed within you that you're remarkably well at. And and we all know it's not me, it's not me. And we try to be humble. I think we need to lift each other up just a little bit more and say, you know what? I praise God that you're able to do that painting, that sculptor, that whatever it may be, that, that, that fashion thing. Because frankly, it shows me that he still gives his gifts to people that are out there. It's like Michelangelo. We all know Michelangelo, although he lived a few years back in the 1500s. And Michelangelo is one of those that was asked one time as he was chipping away at a rock. He said, what are you doing with this shapeless rock? And actually his response was, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. I think that's what God does in us. He looks at us and he says, most people will see a lump of clay. You're worthless. There's not much in you. God looks at it and says, no, I'm just chiseling away at some of those things that aren't supposed to be there because there's a work in progress. Now, what you might not know about Michelangelo, I didn't necessarily know that, but uh, it came to my attention with this and I wanted to include it here. Michelangelo, his father, was a wealthy man. And he was the type of man that he didn't fully understand his son's gifts and talents. And because he was a man of means, because in that particular time in the late 1400s, early 1500s, it was, it was really thought of that if you worked with your hands, you were a lower or commoner. And so Michelangelo's father would not allow him to work with his hands. And every time he would work with his hands, he would spank him or beat him. And so Michelangelo had to work, learn to work with his mind. And that's why it was kind of an odd thing. What most people didn't know, rumor got out, and there was a, later a visiting prince that came to his studio because he had heard of Michelangelo's unusual way of sculpting. For four months, he sat in front of a 17 or 18-foot block of marble and did nothing. Four months, day after day, he sat and stared at that marble and went home for dinner every night. But do you know that 18-foot statue, that 18-foot uh, brick of marble, or whatever you call it, column? turned into one solid piece of the statue of David. It took him four months, and he used his mind to be able to take a look at it. If you study much about it, you know that Michelangelo was not only a brilliant man, but a very gifted man. Now, whether or not he knew God or not, I don't know, but his talents are amazing. And by the way, he sculpted the statue of David at age 29. You know why? Because he didn't have a smartphone. (laughs) Just saying. For we are God's workmanship, created, created in Christ Jesus. I love that. That word created means to form or to shape. You know that Pinewood Derby that the, that the dads do? I mean, the, the sons are supposed to build the cars. You know how that works, right? And, and you know they take that little block of wood and everybody gets the exact same size block of wood, don't they? And they're supposed to do certain things to it and has to weigh a certain amount and all that. I mean, I'll tell you what, getting into that is, is amazing watching people. And you watch the way the different people fashion it. I mean, how many ways can you carve a block of wood? If you want to know, just come to one of those derbies. There's thousands. It's infinite. It's amazing. And they're all competing for bragging rights for this thing called a trophy. Well, they've created something out of something. God has taken with you and I, and that word created here in Christ Jesus says, it means created out of nothing. 
Only God can do that. So the next time somebody says, you're a nothing, you're a nobody, you tell them, nuh-uh. I have been created out of nothing. God created me, and he fashioned me in him. And you know what the prize is? God says, you don't work for this trophy. You are the trophy. You are his trophy. So just as we're an expression to the world and the fact that he's written his love letters on each one of us, we then are trophies of God's giving grace, of his grace to other people, his saving grace that's out there. Why? Because we didn't do it ourselves. And and he does that. God says, "I, I do that as a testimony for others because I want them to see the good works so that they know I can work in them as well. Now, Bible tells us in, in uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Kind of reminds me of some of your posts on Facebook recently. You know, we have this thing down on the beach called Presque Isle, and there's an awful lot of beautiful sunsets. Hump him. <laughs> she just posted a beautiful picture of that. And I was looking at that and I was thinking, how do you not see the beauty of God's handiwork and not praise him? How can you not do that? And yet there are people in the world that are saying, ah, it's kind of pretty, but hey, whatever. They they brought me here, by the way, 17 years or 16 years ago, they brought me here in July, not in the winter. And they took me to Presque Isle and showed me how beautiful the sunsets were. And I said, great, sign me up. And after we got here, they said, oh, by the way, we have this thing called winter. Yeah, the O'Bannons can relate. Yeah, it's a real mild thing that happens around here. But I want you to know, scripture says, the heavens declare his glory the same way that you and I do. It's absolutely gorgeous. And you're able to see that. The wonders of the world, the other things that are out there. I don't know about you, but there are times that I've just gone outside and I've looked up and I've just watched the clouds. I remember as a little kid just laying out in the yard and watching the clouds as they move over and just thinking, how does that work? That is so cool. They declare the glory of God. Well, yours in my life are supposed to be the same way. God wants us, our testimony, to be an example of his grace flowing through us so that others would see it. Now, I got to give you the bad news. The bad news is there's an adversary out there, and he's trying to stop it. He's trying to discredit it. If it's not the world, I mean, just listen to what's happening in the world and all the things that are changing. I don't have time to go into that. That's not what this message is about. But I just want you to know the world And our adversary is truly trying to discredit God. And the best way he knows how to do it, he can't destroy the works of his hands out there seeing what he's doing is he's silencing the believers. He's doing everything he can to get us to be powerless. And the reason we come here is to recharge and to be able to worship God and to be able to allow him and to be reminded again by the teaching of the word so that we would be encouraged to once again realize that we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good things. Which means we need to live lives that are holy. Oh, what does that mean? Holy means set apart for a particular purpose. God has a purpose for us. Yeah, but Pastor John, I got to be in the world, not of the world. How do I do that? God says, I'll show you. But you got to remain in me. You've got to maintain in me because if you don't, you're going to try it on your own and you're going to fail. And that's what happens. We try it on our own strength. We know that his grace, as we've sung about today, has saved our lives, has given us that. But what we don't realize is that that grace is what empowers us, what sets us apart, what moves us even farther. Don't you think if God knew that once he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, and he knew that we were to live our lives, 
I've often wondered about that. The way people live nowadays, they get saved and they, they, everything's great and they go back out to life and life starts happening and they, they, they sort of fall away. They let the cares of this world do that. We often wonder, why don't we just get people saved and kill them? They go right to heaven. There's no mistake. <laughs> Have you ever wondered that maybe God has a plan in between that spot of the time we get saved and the time we die? I know, got you awake, didn't it? But you understand the point. God said, I did. I gave you my grace. Oh, we understand. That grace means he's come into my lives. Jesus has come into my lives and saved me. No, he says, I gave you the grace. We don't think of grace as being the empowerment. But the apostle Paul did. Look what he said. And it's in your notes there. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know why he said that? If you understand Paul, Paul was the elite of the elite. And, and basically with his personality being that high D dominant style, the only way high Ds come to Christ is in a crisis. It's the way it happens. And so Paul had to be knocked off his horse for three days. I call it the two by four ministry. And basically what happens as a result is he's, he's, he's kept blind for three days until he trusts God. Now Paul turns around and because of his personality, because of who he is, he ends up leading many churches and writes 14 books of the New Testament for us. One of which is here. And he basically is asking God to take this thorn away from me. We don't really know what that thorn is. Theologians have speculated for years, but all we know is that three times it says here, he asked God to take it away. And look at what God says to him in verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. What we don't make the connection for, and that's what I'm really wanting to try to show you here, is if we invite Jesus to show up and his grace is evident in our lives, he will empower us not to just be holy on Sunday. He will empower us then to make wise decisions so that the rest of our lives become the same way. No matter where we are, no matter what place he's put us, it's his empowerment. Because he says, if you're trying to do it on your own, you become arrogant and self-serving. If you don't, then I'm going to use those things that are within you to empower you to reach out to other people. That's what God wants to do. Let me give you a great illustration for this, although it's, I say great, it's a good illustration. Everybody knows that thing about pay it forward, right? You ever gone through Starbucks? Well, don't say that, but I've been through Starbucks. I went through once a couple of weeks ago, and while I was there, the lady said to me, oh, the person in front of you paid. Oh, they extended what? Grace. Now, what was my natural reaction? Some of you would, would know. My natural reaction is thanks, I move on. No, I want you to know, because we're in Christ, what's the natural reaction when you've received grace is, Maybe I should extend it to the person behind me. So you know what we do? We look in the mirror to find out how many people are in the car. <laughs> Am I right? I heard, I heard that same day that somebody paid mine and I paid the one behind me, I heard from somebody later in the day that the, that the lady at the counter told them that they, they had paid it forward 132 times that day. Isn't it? Now listen, look at your reaction. You see what I'm saying? That is grace, but operating in the flesh. We're supposed to be doing that kind of grace in our lives and allowing. Let's invite Jesus and let him move through us and see what happens. My grace is sufficient for you that you may be empowered to do what you're supposed to do so that you'll extend it to other people. I think that's really cool. That's the way it works. Peter understood that and I put that in there as well. Peter says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who has called us to his glory. So we understand that. 
So what's missing? What's the problem? Here's the problem, folks. I'm going to be truthful. And when you point one finger, you've got three more coming back. So I, I've, I've dealt with this as well. This is coming directly out of some of my own personal devotions. And I'm going to tell you truthfully. Why is it we lack some of that power? We do try to do it our own because we're supposed to. I mean, we're not supposed to do it that way. We're supposed to be, be doing works. And you'll see what I mean. However, here's what happens. Because you can't have anything in, from God unless you believe. When Pastor Jack talked this morning about the healings, talked about the things that we wanted, if you don't believe God is going to show up, it doesn't happen. It's that simple. You have to believe. You can't earn it. It's a, it's a gift of grace that's given to us. So here's the thing. Because you can't have anything from God unless you believe, and you cannot believe what you do not know. So if we're not exposed to his word, if we're not exposed to the teaching, if we're not connected in small groups and in understanding where it's centered around the word, not, person, not people's opinion, then how do you know what God is telling us? You can't know it or you can't believe it if you don't know it. I've been reading a book, John Bevere's latest book, Good or God? And it's absolutely flayed me. He's one of those that does that anyway. He's just an incredibly gifted, one of those that has that gift of literary writing that you want to see. He says this, and I find this rather staggering. This is part of what made me think about this. He says, only 2% of the Christians in America today understand that grace is God's empowerment to give them the ability to go beyond the natural ability. Only 2%. I don't know how he measured that, but 2%, that's what he says. He says, we try to live a holy life on our own abilities, and then we miserably fail. And so what we do is, here's what happens. And when he said this, I understood it. He said, we in the church in America today, since we cannot live the holy lives like we know we're supposed to, we create a doctrine that sells grace short. What does he mean by that? If you read verses one through four of what I said in chapter two of Ephesians, we find out what the old life is like. I get this all the time when people say to me, so what is the church's stance on drinking? Well, we gotta live, we gotta drink. No, no, I mean drinking. Oh, that's a hot topic nowadays. What does the Bible say? What is the church's stance on, 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 you know, on marriage and all those kind of things? Well, what happened is we slowly start twisting it, and then you slowly start seeing doctrines that come out that sell it short. And then you got one church that does this and one that does that. And frankly, God says the same thing he always said all along. Invite me in the middle, let me show up, and let's see. How truly is it excessive drinking versus gluttony and overeating? What's the difference? Sin is sin, is it not? And I'm not advocating any of those things. I'm just saying, I think what we need to do, usually when most of us will ask questions like that, it usually means we're trying to find out where that line is that's been drawn within Scripture so that I can just get close to it. I think that's why God said, I get you saved and I don't kill you. You, you, you live this time because you've got to learn to work out your salvation with God's grace, with God's help, with God's leaning upon Him. And when we lean upon Him, those other issues are not the issues. The issue is invite Jesus, let him show up and let him see what he's going to do. How do we receive that power? It's real simple. We got to believe it. We got to believe it. If we don't believe it, we hear it. You look at me. I mean, this is a one-way monologue here. This is not a dialogue. We don't get the chance to discuss. That's what the small groups are for. And so we keep failing. We keep failing. And that's not really what he wants. So we have a choice. What we can do is we can teach holiness that refers to our position in Christ only, or we can ignore the many scriptures that tell us over and over again that we're supposed to be holy. Jesus himself said we're supposed to be holy for God is holy, which means I'm set apart for a particular purpose. 
And so I sit back and I come to church and I try it and I do everything I can and I keep saying, there's got to be more, but I don't understand it. There's got to be more. There is more, folks. There is more. Because the Holy Spirit's crying out within each one of us saying, just seek me. Seek me with your whole heart. And when you do, it's amazing what you'll find. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That good works. I'm almost done. I'm wrapping up. And that is that word, those two words, good works. Good is the wrong word to be used here because in our, in our vernacular, we think of good as being opposed to great. That word good in here really actually refers to something that excels or is useful or something that is honorable. And, and the works has to do with deeds, what you've done. He wants you to do good works. Do something that is honorable to him. That's why when people see it, oh, you're just trying to be goody-goody. No, I've been saved by grace. I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to walk it through. That's the beauty about it is he says, I'll be with you. But he wants us to be able to display honorable, excelling, excellent deeds that honor him. That's where that whole saying came out of. we're, We're famous for this in culture. That whole saying that came out and said, what would Jesus do? And we start wearing bracelets. The next thing you know, everybody's wearing WWJD. And when you ask somebody about it, what does that mean? They have no idea. It means we've been saved by grace, and his grace has given us the power in order to make decisions that he would make that would be honoring and glorious to him. That's what that means. It's okay. But it became a fad. It came and it went. Now we've got all kinds of other bracelets, which I'm not opposed to that. Let it be a reminder, though. So what is works? Works is literally how I spend my time. How you spend your time. How you prepare is what's going to come out. You know, the old in, garbage in, garbage out. You don't put anything in, it doesn't come out. You, can't, you cannot have what you do not know. You cannot know it if you're not studying it, if you're not there. So as a follower of Jesus, the best way that shows evidence of what I've been doing is who do I spend time with? You talk to somebody and you find out. And I don't mean, we, we put this thing on, we expect everybody to get busy doing. I think that's exactly what our enemy would say. Just get busy, do something, even if it's wrong, do it. That doesn't work. There's an element of truth to that. But frankly, if you don't exactly know what it is you're supposed to be doing and the fruit you're supposed to produce, which comes out of Colossians 1, so that you may live a life worthy of the the Lord and please him in every good work, giving thanks and growing in the knowledge of God, we each have a unique shape. If you've not taken the shape class yet, the next one is October 17th. We've condensed it down to a four-hour seminar with a couple of assessments that's in there. If you haven't done that yet, I invite you to do it because you can't be something you're not. Pastor Don shared that scripture last week out of Romans 12, 3. For by the grace, I, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with that measure of faith. What is that? Our faith needs to be put to work with the things that he's told us. So our walk will be different. And the last part of that is a word about our walk is that understand my walk is how I put my faith into action. If my faith isn't in action, then I have no walk. If I have no walk, then I have no works. If I have no works, then maybe I am still at the altar. Does that make sense? It's pure and simple. It's that way. So I want you to understand what God is really telling us, what he's been telling us through this particular verse of Scripture, is that for you are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You're his handiwork. Created out of nothing in Christ Jesus to do something amazing, good works. Now, it doesn't stop there. And sometimes people say to me, well, we don't have the manual. Yeah, we do. It's called the Bible. Read the Bible. It'll tell you exactly how your walk's supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and how you follow. But as a result of that, 
it, we know that we're a work in progress. Last story. One little boy was acting up in class. I would love to think he was probably in Mrs. Beveridge's kindergarten class, but I don't know for a fact, okay? And he was being very, very disruptive that day, and he was frustrating his teacher. And so the teacher, being wise and infant, which Mrs. Beveridge is, if you've ever been there, some of you have experienced her, her wisdom and wit, and I appreciate that, she would probably respond like this, so why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? And the little boy, without hesitation and without even looking up, says, yeah, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. <laughs> Sounds like something one of your kids would say, doesn't it? <laughs> I understand that that's really the truth, but don't use that as an excuse. Don't sit back and say, well, you know, I'm just a work in progress. That is a cop-out. God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. And we're to spur one another on toward good works. I have it on good notice that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion. Philippians 1.6. And if you wonder what you're supposed to do, well, you can read the Proverbs. I love the Proverbs. I read one every morning. And it's just one of those things that helps keep you in line. But one of my favorites comes out of, out of uh, Proverbs 16.9. Many are the plans in man's heart, but the Lord determines his steps. Psalm 37.23 goes with it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. So I'm going to tell you, it's real simple. You want your life revolutionized? You want your life transformed? You're realizing that we are a process. We are on a journey. We're on this transformational journey with Jesus, and we're growing and developing in him. And we're supposed to continue toward, toward moving forward. In a world that's getting darker and darker, and the adversary is trying very hard to squeeze the life out of everything that you and I do, I just challenge you to invite Jesus to show up and ask him what you would have you do. I, 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 I put a quote in your notes, and because it's there, I'll read it. And it comes from Martin Luther, and I can appreciate his words. He says, faith is a living, busy, active, powerful thing. It is impossible for it not to do us good continually. It never asks whether good works are to be done, but it has done them before there is time to ask the question. It is always doing them. In other words, faith that is real is revealed through works that are righteous. And when somebody says, righteous, man, that comes from the 70s. That was way back. The Jesus movement, I remember that. Shows my age. Not my hair, I cut it all off. But when God saved us through his grace, he does not save us so that we can go live as we please. Let me say that again. Just because God saves you and cleans you up doesn't mean you get to turn around and say, great, I get to go do as I want. He has a plan. And he wants us to follow that plan. So I've given you three challenge questions at the very end. And you can take those notes, you can fold them, put them in your Bible, or you can save them like I do. I think I have every one since we've started this. <laughs> Doesn't surprise you, does it? <laughs> Question one, is my life marked by works that glorify God? Just ask yourself that. And I heard earlier today, if you're going through a great time, celebrate. If everything's going great, celebrate that. I, I heard people, actually, there's a country, I know, I know a lot of times, you know, people will pray before their meals, and, and I've heard people say, and I remember we were challenged by a, a young theologian student that was coming along saying, we always pray for, pray that God will bless the food. We don't have to pray that. God will bless the food already. We need to pray to thank him for the food. That's what the prayer is for. There's a culture that actually prays at the end of the meal, thanking God for the fact that it was provided for them. Begins to put it into perspective, doesn't it? For some of us that are so used to ritual, why do you think at times we shake it up just a little bit 
And even in our walk with the Lord, in our daily devotions, the Lord doesn't expect you to do the exact same thing every day. Shake it up a little bit. Keep it real. Am I doing, is my life marked by works that glorify him? Secondly, am I doing everything that God has called me to do? Once again, I put a plug in for that shape class. If you don't know what God has shaped you for, I can help you find that out. And then thirdly, am I grateful to him for his work of grace in my life? Am I grateful for the fact, and if you haven't come to that saving knowledge of who he is, I do invite you to do that. And if you have and it's grown cold, make it hot again. Don't make it lukewarm. Make it hot. And allow him to just say, Lord, where, where did I get off? What is it you want me to do? And uh, it, that's what makes it exciting. And I ask you, as part of that, which came from that video at the beginning, just remember, God is working on you. He's shaping, smoothing, cutting, and fitting you into that perfect place where you can serve him best. Don't fight that process. For you and I, we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ to do amazing things that he prepared in advance for us to do. It's so cool. It's so cool. Let me tell you about a group of people, and I'm going to ask that all those that are here today from Erie First and, and uh, Christian Academy as well as the um, Early Ed Center, if you just come and stand down here, we're going to have a time of prayer for them as well. But I just want you to know, you speak of the call of God on our lives, and I've listed them in your notes, and I've done that for several reasons. The last few years, many people have asked, who teaches where and who does what? Some of them attend this church, some of them you know. Some of them are actually worship leaders at other churches and are involved, and they actually, some of them I was surprised to see because they took some time and, and were here. But God has fashioned in such a way a calling of those whose call upon their life is to serve young people in the area of academics and, 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 and to, to help shape and mold that worldview that is distinctively Christian. It's a process. Go ahead. And in that process, and you'll see, there's, there's 39 of them that are listed there. I also got some other ancillaries that are, that are around throughout, and I didn't list all the pastoral staff or the church staff, but they're just as much a part of the school as well, and we're all there. And I want you to see who these people are, and I want you to get, a, get an opportunity. And more than anything else, I ask you, take that sheet, put that somewhere, and pray for them. You know, if you had a great experience in second grade, or if you didn't have a great experience in fourth grade, maybe God would just tug on your heart to say, I'm going to pray for that fourth grade teacher because there's probably somebody in that class that was just like me, and she needs prayer. <laughs> there may be other, other ways, but I just want you to see, and this is our one, one opportunity to be able to, to share with you that you know that one division of this church, one aspect, one ministry is our Academy and Early Ed Center that has been around for 23 years. And we really believe we're not looking to be the best. We're not looking to be the biggest. We're looking to be exactly what God has called us to do. Year by year, as God has assembled, some of these that are in front of me here have been here for 20 plus years. Some, this is their very first year. Doesn't really matter. What matters is God's chosen them for such a time as this. Now, it's not just here. Yes, I'm displaying those that are part of our ministry, but I want to now ask everybody who's involved with education anywhere throughout this city, you are called just as well. Would you please stand? Whether it's another private school, public school, would you stand right where you're at, no matter what you're doing in those? Because I know there's a lot of you. I've talked with you, and I want to thank you for that as well. All right, now I'm going to ask if you would just join your hearts with me. Just extend your hand to somebody that you see, whether it's up here or whether it's around there. I just want to pray for these. Heavenly Father, we pause right now to say thank you for your great love for us. 
I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Your grace, Lord, that truly has not only saved us, given us a firm foundation, and you've actually redeemed us and made us right with the Father. But Lord, that grace that, as Paul said, empowers us, that gives us the strength to day by day continue to live out. And each of these, Lord, that are in the, in, in the, involved with the aspect of teaching, those that are involved, whether it's here at this church and school or whether it's around this entire community in this county, God, you've put a high calling upon their life. They touch lives. They influence others. And they're here not by accident, but by choice, by the very fact that you have called them, equipped them, and given them a heart and a passion to want to serve you in the area where they're at. And so I pray right now that even this, this commissioning service, that you would just let your anointing rest upon them. God, we don't pray for your blessing. I pray for your presence in each of their classrooms, in each of their offices, in each area of influence that you have given them. May they continue to walk in you and bring honor to you. May they be the love letters to the world around them. May they be those trophies of grace. And may others see their good works and glorify you. I pray all this now in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come say hi to some of these folks or some of those that are standing. And uh, if your teacher's not here right now, find one and tell them thank you. Okay? God bless you.